Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Gabriella. Join us as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. Hello and welcome to another House of David podcast. For those of you who are new to House of David, we are a teaching ministry that helps Christians understand their biblical heritage and connection to Israel. My name is Gabriella, and I'm here again today with Pastor Eric. Eric, the past few months have been quite dark. Yeah, they've been extremely difficult and painful for me to watch uh, everything that is going on in Israel and also around the world, places like Ukraine, Myanmar. And even Central Africa, where Christians are being slaughtered for their, for their faith in Jesus. But, you know, today we're going to be talking about Hanukkah. It's a joyful celebration of God's light and his miracles. It's called the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights. And as Christians, it's exciting to realize that Jesus celebrated this festival. And we know this because in John 10, we read, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, many of us are familiar with the Hanukkah story, and we're going to get into some of the significant historical details leading up to it, which actually provides a lot of insight into what was going on in the time of Jesus. But first, I'll just give a quick recap of the story and the miracle of Hanukkah that we read about in the books of the first and second Maccabees. So the Jewish people were living under the oppressive and tyrannical rule of the Syrian king, Antiochus IV, or Antiochus IV, who forbade the Jews from practicing Judaism and following any of the Jewish laws. He even outlawed circumcision, and he forced the Jews to worship pagan gods, and anyone who didn't comply was put to death. Antiochus also defiled the holy temple with idols. He put up a statue of Zeus and even sacrificed pigs on the altar. So this desecration of the temple was the abomination of desolation prophesied hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Daniel. And later in Matthew 24, we read that Jesus referred to a similar abomination of the temple, which would occur in the latter days during the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. But back to the story of Hanukkah. This evil tyranny and desecration of what was most holy to the Jewish people led to a famous guerrilla revolt that was led by Judah Maccabee and his brothers, who miraculously defeated Antiochus and his massive army and liberated Jerusalem. Then they went to clean up the temple from its defilement and rededicate it to the Lord. Now in the temple, there was a menorah, which is a seven-arm candelabra that was supposed to remain continuously lit both day and night, and it could only be lit using a special purified oil. However, when they went to light the menorah, they could only find a tiny jug of this purified oil enough to burn for just one day. The miracle, according to Jewish tradition, was that the tiny amount of oil lasted for eight days, which was just enough time to make more pure oil to keep the menorah lit. Therefore, we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah and light candles for each day of the holiday to commemorate this great victory and miracle. There is, however, a fascinating history leading up to this time and beyond, which gives us so much insight into the cultural and political forces that were at play during the life of Jesus. Yeah, you know, I personally find this time period in Israel's history fascinating, and I can even see some parallels to modern-day Israel. So, for example, ancient Israel was deeply divided 
politically between the secular and the religious Jews. And this is similar to the division that we saw playing out this past year with the protests that, you know, on the surface seemed to be over judicial reform. But at their core, they really had to do with conflicting worldviews and values, worldviews versus biblical worldviews. And similarly, during the time of Antiochus, Antiochus, and the Syrian rule in the land, the secular Hellenist Jews wanted Israel to look like all its surrounding nations. Most notably, they were becoming heavily immersed and assimilated into Greek culture. And that included participation in ritual idol worship of Greek gods. So now the Greeks ruled much of the world until the time of the Romans, when they were replaced as the dominant cultural, political, and economic system. And the religious Jews, on the other hand, wanted Israel to remain separate from the world's heathen and pagan nations. They wanted it to be ruled by the law of Moses and governed by the priestly theocracy. We know from Israel's history that much of Israel was idolatrous. And because of that, God brought waves of judgment against them, culminating in a series of invasions. First the Assyrians, and later the Babylonians, and eventually the Greeks, who were led by a man named Alexander the Great around 329 BC. But Alexander was actually favorable towards the Jews, and instead of destroying and subjugating them, he made an arrangement with them. As long as they were his loyal subjects and paid their taxes, they could remain autonomous. But Alexander had an untimely death at the age of 32, and the Greek empire was split into two separate empires, and Israel was caught right in the middle. And these two factions battled for over 125 years until the Greeks, the northern kingdom led by Antiochus III, prevailed and incorporated Judea into a new empire. Now, Antiochus wanted to continue what he regarded as the civilizing process of Alexander the Great and that Greek spirit. For him, you know, culture, Greek culture meant pursuing the good in humanity, which is based on the assumption that man is the measure of all things. That sounds very similar to today's prevailing humanistic view of the world. Yeah, it is, exactly. But Jewish view of life, at least for the religious Jews, was in complete opposition to Hellenism. Because Judaism was an all-encompassing, and it still is an all-encompassing way of life, that regarded Hellenism as a form of nature worship. They saw it as the spiritual continuation of the religion of the Canaanites, who had presented their views against Israel for all the centuries since the days of Joshua. And they were furious that Antiochus encouraged the Jews to regard him as the ancient god Baal of the Canaanites. The Canaanite gods, they asserted, mythologized the anger, hate, lust, and envy and greed of these unregulated human hearts. Now, at first, Antiochus III continued to allow the Jews some degree of autonomy, but his son, Antiochus IV, who inherited the throne around 176 BC, resumed his father's policy of Hellenizing without making any exceptions for the Jews. And it's interesting that Antiochus IV also carried a substitute name called Epiphanes, a Greek word that means God manifest. There's a fascinating correlation here because Antiochus, while he fulfilled the prophecies in Daniel, is often considered a shadow of the Antichrist, 
We know this from the book of Daniel, and Jesus quoted from Daniel that the Antichrist, who is the prince to come, will also declare himself to be God and will defile the future temple sacrifices. Yeah, it's interesting and it's ironic how much of history, especially biblical history, repeats itself. It's, it's almost like God is forewarning us of the things to come if we pay attention to the things that have occurred in the past. Unfortunately, many Jewish scholars do not see the book of Daniel as prophetic. But Jesus quoted Daniel and referred to a future time of tribulation for the Jewish people. And he actually referred to Daniel the prophet. So Antiochus IV declares himself to be God, which led to a brief Jewish rebellion. And then he orders his army to go from village to village and force the inhabitants to worship pagan gods. And thousands were killed. And the only refuge area that remained were the hills of Judea around Jerusalem. Antiochus went even further and he outlawed the central tenets of Judaism. So Jewish worship was forbidden. The Torah, the scrolls of the law were confiscated and burned. Sabbath rest, circumcision, and even the dietary laws were prohibited under the penalty of death. And of course, he defiled the holy temple, as you just mentioned, Gabby, by erecting an altar to the god Zeus and allowed the sacrifice of pigs. And he even opened the temple to be desecrated by non-Jews. Which, as we mentioned previously, is a foreshadowing of the future prophecy that we read about in Matthew 24, where Jesus, when speaking of the end times, refers to the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So this brief history brings us to the time of the Maccabees. Israel's politically divided, but is united in support of the Maccabees' fight against Antiochus. Right, Israel goes from being divided politically to being united. And even though the, these virtues of Hellenism had seduced many Jews to assimilate, the extreme measures adopted by Antiochus helped unite the Jewish people. Antiochus had sent this army of more than 40,000 men to sweep the land. And there's this story about one group of soldiers arriving in a village called Modi'in, about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And there was an old priest there that lived there named Matityahu. The officer built an altar in the village marketplace and demanded that Matityahu offer sacrifices to the Greek gods. Matityahu replied, I, my sons and my brothers, are determined to remain loyal to the covenant our God made with our ancestors. And then, as he said that, a Hellenistic Jew approached the altar to offer a sacrifice. Matityahu grabbed his sword and killed the man. And his sons and friends then fell upon the Syrian officers and soldiers and, he, and killed many of them and chased them, the rest of them away and they destroyed the altar. So this really, this story was really the beginning of the Maccabean revolt. Now, Matityahu knew that Antiochus would be enraged when he heard what had happened, so he left the village and fled with his sons to the hills of Judea. And word got out and many joined them there, most notably this group called Hasidians, who were a pious group deeply bound to fulfilling the law of Moses. So these people assembled in Mitzpah, the same place, where Samuel the prophet had offered prayers to God. And they exclaimed together, Let us fight unto death in defense of our souls and our temple. They formed legions of militants who would leave their hiding place to attack the enemy in different outposts to destroy the pagan altars. And 
Unfortunately, this guerrilla war was also as much of a civil war as it was national resistance because Matityahu treated anyone who collaborated with the Greeks the same as he treated the invading army. So the family of Matityahu became known as the Maccabees and from the Hebrew word hammer because they were said to strike hammer blows against their enemies. And the word itself is composed of these four letters of the Hebrew words, Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem, who is like you, O God. Now, the Maccabees, the family itself, would later become known as the Hasmonians or the Hashmonaim. And we're going to talk about that here in a few moments because it's important uh, for us to understand this chain of history. But here it is after many years of Jewish assimilation into Greek culture that again had divided Israel politically. Israel was now united against a common enemy that was trying to annihilate its very existence. Antiochus was attempting to destroy every thread of Judaism, including the Jewish identity itself that even the Hellenist Jews had held on to. And in response, the Maccabees became like a hammer to their enemies. Again, it sounds very similar to what Jews are experiencing today in Israel and around the world in the aftermath of the October 7th atrocities. Many Jews are secular and just want to fit into the world's cultures, but now Israel and Jews around the world are facing a new common enemy, and anti-Semitism is dramatically rising everywhere. Nations are either aligning with Israel or starting to turn against her. And I think it's important to point out that God will judge the nations according to how they treat his people Israel. In Joel 3 verses 1 through 2 we read, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Notice that last verse, they have also divided up my land. God is making it very clear that his land, the land of Israel, is not to be divided. Yeah, for sure. And a common theme is that anti-Zionism, if that can somehow be separated from anti-Semitism, is what is really emerging. Anti-Zionism is akin to anti-Semitism because it is against everything that defines who we are as Jews, including Jerusalem and the land of Israel. So tell us more about the Maccabees and how their revolt led to a new period in Israel's history called the Hasmonean Dynasty. Sure, the name Maccabee was a title of honor initially given to the son of Matityahu, who was named Judah. He was later called Judah the Maccabee. And that name was then extended to include the entire family, including the father and Judah's four brothers, John, Simon, Eliezer, and Jonathan. And then later it was also extended to include John Hyrcanus, Simon's son, who became next in succession during the Hasmonean rule. So after the death of Matityahu around 166 BC, Judah the Maccabee, who was the third son, became the leader of this resistance movement. And in December 164 BC, three years after Antiochus had defiled the temple, Judah and his armies recaptured Jerusalem. Judah appoints these new blameless priests to cleanse the holy place and erect a new altar of unhewn stones. And the word for reconsecrating the temple is 
Hanukkah, meaning dedication. The priests re-consecrated and dedicated the sanctuary on December 24, Kislev 25 in the Hebrew calendar. And this is the yearly date that we celebrate Hanukkah, the Jewish eight-day festival of lights. And the holiday commemorates both the victorious event and the miracle of the menorah that you told us about at the beginning of the podcast. So, after five years of war and raids, Judah sought an alliance with the Roman Republic to remove the Greeks from the land of Israel. But unfortunately, Judah was killed in a battle. And so his brother Jonathan continued the guerrilla warfare with their brother Simon. Antiochus IV had now died by this time, and his successor agreed to the Jews' demands for independence. And in trying to quell this Jewish revolt, Alexander Balas, who is believed to be the son of Antiochus, made a bid for Jonathan's loyalty. And he offered Jonathan a lot of favorable terms, including the appointment as high priest over Jerusalem and over Israel in 152 BC. And this was a change in the Maccabean power structure that led to their dynasty, again, that we call the Hasmoneans or the Hashmonaim. The Hasmoneans and others then illegitimately held the position of high priest until the time of Jesus, including Caiaphas, who was appointed by the Roman prefect. So this assertion of religious authority violated God's commandments and the order of priestly selection, which came from the descendants of Moses, brother Aaron, and the tribe of Levi. And in addition, the Hasmoneans assumed a monarchical title during the reign of Simon Thassi in 142 BC, and they took the title of King Basilius in 104 BC, despite not being from the line of King David. And so here, after more than 500 years of subjugation under differing invading empires, the Maccabees had successfully forced the Greeks to retreat from the land of Israel. They ushered in 80 years of Jewish independence in Judea under the Hasmonean dynasty, and the Jews were once again in control of their land. Jewish life flourished under their leadership, and the kingdom of Judah regained its boundaries close to those under the reign of King Solomon. But their dynasty corrupted the Levitical priesthood and the Davidic monarchy. And it didn't take long for rival factions to develop and threaten the unity of this Hasmonean kingdom. Two of these factions we read about in the New Testament are the Sadducees and Pharisees, who function mainly as political parties. They were religious groups, but they had political rule as well. The conflicts in Israel culminated in a civil war that ended when the Roman general Pompey took control of Jerusalem in 63 BC, he inaugurates this Roman period in Jewish history and reduced the Hasmonean government to a protectorate of Rome. Between 57 and 55 BC, the Hasmonean kings retained their titles but became clients of Rome after the conquest of Pompeii, and the Romans then split the Hasmonean kingdom into smaller territories that we read about in the New Testament, Galilee, Samaria, Judea, and each with five districts of legal and religious councils known as Sanhedrin. In 37 BC, this was 27 years after Jerusalem had fallen to Pompeii, a man by the name of Herod and Sosius, who was the governor of Syria, set out with a large army for Jerusalem to capture the throne and remove the Hasmonean leaders. Now, Herod was a Roman Jewish client king of the Heronian kingdom of Judea, and he was a descendant 
of Eliezer Maccabeus of the Hasmoneans. He was actually a descendant of this Hasmonean dynasty. And Herod appears in the Gospel of Matthew as the ruler of Judea who ordered the massacre of the infant boys shortly after the time of Jesus' birth and tried to kill Israel's Messiah and king. And in this three-year-long civil war period between 37 and 34 BC, Herod's armies successfully overthrew the Hasmoneans. And this great siege of Jerusalem was the final step in his campaign to secure the throne of Judea for himself. Again, he was aided by Roman forces. He captures the city. He takes the position of sole ruler of Judea and the title of Basilius, king, and permanently ends the Hasmonean dynasty. And Herod's rule marks a new beginning in the history of Judea. Judea had been ruled autonomously by the Hasmonean kings from 140 until 63 BC, but Herod ruled under Roman overlordship until he died in 4 BC and officially passed on the throne to his sons and established his own Herodian dynasty. So all these internal divisions and conflicts, the arrival of the Roman Empire and the civil war led by King Herod, end the Hasmonean dynasty and Jewish independence in the land of Israel. And they now had both an illegitimate king and a perverted, illegitimate Levitical priesthood. And the Roman occupation and subsequent exile of the Jewish people would then last for more than 2,000 years until the independent state of Israel was established in 1948 and the Jews would begin again to return to their land. The story of the Maccabees and their successful revolt against Antiochus and the Seleucid Empire was truly miraculous. They put their trust in God alone, and God stood with them and delivered them from their enemies, as we have seen God do time and time again. God also gave the people of Israel many very harsh warnings against forming alliances with foreign powers. They were to trust in God alone for their security and for their victory. In Isaiah 30, verse 1, we read, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. And in Isaiah 28, verses 14 through 15, we read, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Many Bible commentators think that this passage is also a future prophecy when the Jews will turn to the Antichrist as their Savior. So we can see that when the Jews put their trust completely in God, they were able to miraculously defeat their enemies against all odds. And as soon as they start turning to foreign rulers to make alliances and solidify their security, everything starts to fall apart. What a sad and disastrous end to the Judean kingdom, especially after the victory of the Maccabees and their recapture of Jerusalem and rededication of the temple. Yeah, it is. It's tragic, but it gives us incredible insight into the geopolitical landscape at the time of Jesus. Israel by then had lost all autonomy and was under the oppressive rule of the most powerful empire on earth. And Israel's leaders, the high priest and king, were not the rightful heirs of either the Aaronic priesthood or the Davidic dynasty. 
And this helps us to understand why John the Baptist and then afterward Jesus had such strong words and accusations against Israel's leadership. Everything had become perverse. And yet Jesus had this immeasurable compassion for the lost sheep of Israel. You will never see him once condemn the people. He only extends this grace and mercy to them. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have taken Jesus' criticism of Israel's leadership out of context, and some even justify anti-Semitism as a form of punitive replacement theology. But God has never abandoned his love for the Jewish people, and Israel remains his eternal heritage in the apple of his eye. This is a really interesting perspective. Jesus had such strong words of condemnation towards the Jewish leaders, not just because they were corrupt and burdened the people, but also because these positions had become political positions of power rather than sacred positions appointed by God. Exactly right. God had intentionally set up the Levitical priesthood to provide atonement for the sins of Israel. So not only was the temple defiled, but God's people were also defiled by sin that could not be atoned for by the priesthood. And in addition, they had a king who was subservient to Rome, who was only concerned with his own power and prestige and had no interest or concern for God's people. So you can begin to understand Jesus' compassion for the lost sheep of Israel and his condemnation of Israel's leaders. It was more than, like you said, their strict observance of the law. They were corrupt and illegitimate, and Jesus threw them out of the temple. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, the multitude cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. But to those who defiled God's temple, Jesus rebuked them, saying, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And this is an extremely important detail because, again, Jesus never condemned the people, only the corrupt leaders. Here, the prophet Ezekiel declares in chapter 34, verses 2 through 4, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that which was driven away, nor sought that which was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. And unfortunately, the the church for too long has condemned the Jewish people for just simply following the law of Moses, calling them Pharisees, which is not true. Jesus loves his people, and he hates the wicked who oppress the poor and the downtrodden. We know that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets perfectly so that we might have eternal life in him. But not once does he ever condemn them for following the law. In fact, when Jesus was asked this question about the, what is the great commandment in the law, this is in Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40, Jesus said to the man, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So here, Israel was at one of its lowest times in its history, and there was no hope in its king or priesthood. Rome was cruel and taxed them harshly 
Poverty was rampant, but even worse, God's blessings and promises to protect Israel from sickness had been lifted. And I think that's why we read about how there were so many in Israel who were possessed by demons and stricken with diseases and infirmities. But Jesus enters this defiled temple during the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, and he reveals himself as the divinely anointed one that they had been hoping and praying for. And he says, I and my Father are one, John 10, verse 30. And like the Maccabees, Jesus has this zeal for God's righteousness. He casts out these Hellenists who had desecrated God's temple and made a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He promises to sanctify a new temple, not one that was built of stone, one made with hearts of flesh, a living temple. By the blood of Jesus, we have been healed from all iniquity, and in him we are promised to be resurrected into a new incorruptible body, one that can't be tainted by any sickness, and it will never die. The root of the word Hanukkah is Hanu, which means they rested. And we know that in Jesus, we will have eternal rest in the Sabbath of his eternal kingdom. Jesus is the light that burns and shines forever in this new, reconsecrated, and rededicated temple, the Hanukkah of our hearts. As we celebrate Hanukkah, the festival of lights this month, we are reminded that in John 8, verse 12, Jesus told us, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus came not to rededicate and cleanse the temple made of stone, but to be our perfect eternal high priest, to cleanse us of our sins and rededicate us to the Lord so that we can be the lamps that shine God's light and the living temples that carry God's Holy Spirit throughout the world. Thank you, Pastor Eric, for this fascinating discussion. And thank you all for joining us today. Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas. We pray that you may all have a blessed and joyful holiday season. Please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the hostages to return home, and most importantly, for the people of Israel to know their Messiah, Yeshua. We look forward to you joining us next time on a new season of House of David podcast. If you have enjoyed this podcast from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.